Hello, everyone, and welcome to Open Observability Talks, our first episode of 2024. I'm your host, Dutan Horvitz, and here at Open Observability Talks, we talk about anything DevOps, observability, and open source. So may the open source be with you. Actually, I just got the uh, uh, Spotify wrapped end of year stats uh, on our show. Our show was streamed in 56 countries. That's amazing across North America, South America, Europe, India, and many other places. Very exciting. Uh, and we more than doubled our followers in 2023. Uh, so thank you for all of you for following us and for ranking us high. And uh, We got uh, hundreds of uh, uh, followers ranking us top 10 podcast. So uh, if you like... Uh, the show, do hit follow and rank us and invite your friends. And I'd also like to thank our sponsors, Logs.io, the cloud-native observability platform. Logs.io takes the best-of-breed open-source projects such as Prometheus, OpenSearch, and Jaeger, and offers them as a unified observability platform built for scale. For those joining us on the live stream, so we live stream on YouTube or Twitch, and actually, for the first time, we start streaming also over uh, X. Twitter. So uh, feel free to share questions and comments on the chat uh, on the platform of your choice. And very exciting to see if uh, uh, the uh, streaming over X would be uh, interesting. And with that, let's move on to today's episode. Many people ask me about platform engineering. Uh, the episode I did here on the show over a year ago uh, about platform engineering was actually one of the top uh, episodes of the show ever. Uh, and Towards the end of 2023, when I was asked for my predictions, uh, I said that this year, 2024, we'll see platform engineering become production grade. And I wanted to open 2024 with looking into this topic and learn from those who uh, already implemented it at scale. Uh, in this case, the e-commerce hyperscaler Shopify. And my guest uh, for this is Aparna Subramanian, director of production engineering at Shopify. Good morning, uh, Apana. Hey, Dotan. Happy to be here. Thank you very much for being with us. Uh, where are you joining us from? I'm joining the show from India. Uh, that's exciting. Uh, so uh, I, I shared with you on, on our ch little chat uh, earlier that actually uh, India is, I, I think, uh, uh, second most popular uh, on, on, uh, from the audience, the second largest audience following the show. So really exciting uh, to have the followers uh, out there at home and also having you here on the show uh, live from, from India with us. That's great. And, and uh, you have uh, an interesting journey uh, with uh, platform engineering, which is the topic. I even put, by the way, the, uh, the T-shirt, the uh, platformers, especially for those who are on the, on the video cast and see the, not the regular shirt. Uh, so uh, you have an interesting journey with platform engineering, uh, not just with Shopify, which will be the main topic today, but also uh, from the uh, vendor side, running engineering uh, for Tanzu uh, at uh, VMware. Can you tell us a bit about uh, your background? Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, I'm currently the director of uh, production engineering at Shopify, and my team is responsible for what we call as the production platform uh, that runs all of the, the stores across the millions of merchants that we support at Shopify. And uh, prior to joining Shopify, I was with VMware, where I worked uh, a lot on cloud automation. And I was also the founding member of uh, Tanzu uh, Kubernetes on, on vSphere. So yeah, it's, it's fair to say that I've been um, in the cloud native infrastructure space uh, quite a bit, and that's where I spent most of my career. Sounds good. And today uh, with uh, Shopify, with the platform engineering, that's uh, a massive scale, maybe before going into the platform engineering, just for people to understand the uh, what you uh, and your team need to support. Can you give us like uh, in high level, broad strokes, what's uh, the scale that Shopify uh, operates? Yeah, definitely. So uh, Shopify is an e-commerce platform. So Black Friday, Cyber Monday is always a very exciting uh, time of year. And uh, typically what we do is year long, we prepare for Black Friday, Cyber Monday. And then the following year, that becomes the, the baseline scale requirements for our platform, given the, the growth. So uh, I have some uh, stats here. So just to get some uh, understanding of the scale of Shopify, during this past Black Friday, Cyber Monday, our application servers uh, were handling 58 million requests per minute. 
and um, the database uh, was handling 19 million queries per second. And uh, if you look at our streaming infrastructure, that was about 29 million messages per second of stream processing. Um, so that's to give the a sense of like the different systems, main systems involved in uh, what it takes to support e-commerce on a, on a platform of this size. And uh, I mean, in addition to this, like every year we're always trying to you know, operate a little bit more efficiently than the previous year. Um, and then, you know, the following year, this becomes the, the scale, uh, the baseline of the platform. These are very impressive numbers, let's say. Mind-boggling numbers to try and uh, uh, wrap, your, your, wrap your head around. Uh, so let's really talk about uh, uh, platform engineering then. Uh, can you sure. give us a bit about the history and why uh, you found yourself needing platform engineering at all? Yeah, so we all know that this rigid boundary between like operations and dev only works when you're sort of small scale, you don't deploy to production that often. Uh, and then the whole the movement of like DevOps came in. And the challenge with the DevOps or like dev owning ops uh, is it's just transferring the ownership to the developers without really giving them the right tools and the time and the space to work on these problems, right? So, um, and it also leads to a problem where there's like multiple different teams who are now owning ops. And then it quickly becomes a problem of, okay, so there are like five different ways to deploy things to production. And that's exactly the realization that Shopify had back in 2016 when we had like four or five different ways to deploy things to production. And, and that's when uh, Shopify decided to take the approach of like platform engineering and have a platform where all of these tools are built, custom built for our business, custom built for our developers. And there's like one unified way of um, deploying things to production. Interesting. So uh, for you, it was sort of streamlining and also in a way uh, not beyond the tooling, obviously, also the dimension of, of uh, and, on the, the knowledge, the sharing, uh, the learning, right? Yeah, it's definitely, uh, you know, sharing the learning and transferring the learnings across like one app to the other. Otherwise, you're creating these, these silos. And the other thing is now it creates the time and space for application developers to do what they do best, which is building features and shipping those features and you know for a platform of the size and scale there's a significant amount of expertise that we need on like compute network storage streaming platform observability and all of these so it creates the time and space for these platform engineers to specialize and rebuild the platform constantly evolve the platform to the next better version of what it is yeah, in, in, in today's world especially, and I know that you were one of the earlier adopters of uh, Kubernetes, uh, definitely at scale, the, the specialty uh, knowledge and skill set that is required for each and every element of these uh, infrastructures is its own domain. And uh, expecting the, the application developers to also master each and every one of these is uh, not realistic and definitely defocuses from the main, from the main path. So uh, I, I'm curious if you can share maybe a bit more about how you... Uh, uh, about the architecture and how you, uh, and then we'll talk about how you support with the platform engineering this uh, this architecture. Yeah, that sounds good. Uh, so at Shopify, everything runs on Kubernetes. Our stateless workloads, uh, our applications, and the stateful workloads, all of our databases. So um, given that, this is a, a what we call as a platform of platforms. So even though we have like one platform, we have like the database platform, we have the streaming platform, we have the observability platform. Uh, so all of these platforms are independently owned and maintained by a specific specialized group of platform engineers. And application developers own their application code and they are they're still responsible for uh, shipping their PRs, CI, deploying their applications to production. And in terms of like division of like roles and responsibilities, everybody's responsible for monitoring, everybody's responsible for being on call, but it's the application developers are responsible for the application portion and the platform engineers are responsible for the platform and the infrastructure. And when there's an issue, we all come together to uh, troubleshoot and um, 
you know uh, figure out what's what's going uh, what's going on in the application and uh, in terms of like scale uh, i mean i told you about like the 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 thing the scale that we support uh, in terms of infrastructure we are at about 400 uh, kubernetes clusters um, spread across the fleet and uh, yeah i mean sometimes we say that maybe we made cluster automation too easy <laughs> for ourselves <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was actually a discussion also in the last KubeCon that I know that you were one of the co-chairs there, but uh, about uh, about uh, looking at uh, Kubernetes these days, a decade to Kubernetes and going forward. And one of the things that came up in the discussion is maybe the, the structure of clusters uh, is uh, becoming too limiting and maybe this abstraction is not the right abstraction. So uh, a lot of discussion I know about uh, multi-cluster deployments and management and, and uh, monitoring and uh, and what what merits a separate cluster and if it's the right abstraction and, and so on and so forth so uh you're on the uh top scale of uh testing the limits on on multi-cluster deployments yeah i mean it, there's definitely api server uh limitations uh, but there's also just uh organizational you know things that you want to have separate clusters for like you you know most things at a cluster are not uh, are, are you need a cluster admin role to perform a lot of things. So there's like other reasons to have like separate clusters. And before you know, you end up with this huge sprawl of clusters. Yeah, yeah, that's that's for sure. So you started touching on the uh, on this uh, uh, division of responsibility between the uh, the central uh, platform engineering and then the distributed element and where where things lie. And obviously, there's a separation between uh, ops and dev. Uh, could you uh, try and uh, decipher for us more on how you uh, drew these lines, these boundaries, the uh, the division of responsibilities there? Yeah, uh, I mean, it, it's definitely, um, I mean, Prior to platform engineering, that that it's uh, you know it's it's a little bit blurry with the like okay dev owns ops and then you have like a specialized team who's responsible for like scaling and reliability, but I think with platform engineering, that that line is pretty clear right because everything is done by self service and uh, platform engineering is developing a product. They're just developing a product for the internal developer community within the company. So you have a very clear boundary where you provide them with like a self-service, you know, CLI or portal or whatever. And then they are responsible for taking the code in their repo and, uh, you know, whatever mechanism they have to deploy that tool to CI. And CI has all of the automation that takes it all the way to production. And they have and platform engineering provides all of the tools for monitoring production, you know, alerting, observability, dashboards. Um, there's, uh, you know, resiliency, there's like on-call uh, incident management teams. So the whole process is, I think, a lot more streamlined. And I think the division of uh, responsibility is definitely at that layer. If there's an app issue, the application team gets paged. And if they think it's an infrastructure issue, then the platform team gets paged. Interesting. I think one of the uh, challenges that I found with uh, implementing platform engineering has been that, uh, especially in large organizations such as yourselves, uh, that different teams uh, make different choices in terms of the preferred uh, way of working and maybe even the tooling choices because of the nature of what uh, what kinds of processing batch streaming uh, more of this more of that so even programming languages and the question is um, how do you maintain this balance between allowing the teams to make their own choices and and adapt uh, adopt sorry the the relevant uh tech stack that suits them with some something centralized that is dictated uh, centrally by the platform engineering team? That's a, that's a great question. So um, we don't, um, I mean, there's no mandate uh, across the organization that the dev teams cannot do certain things, right? We, we, we embrace change. So we want the dev teams to actually push the boundaries. We want the dev teams to actually challenge us and come back with like, why don't we support this? Why not this, right? So I think it's it's actually a, a very healthy 
um, dynamic within a company. And in fact, I think it's 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 a it's a symptom of a problem if the dev team assumes that okay, so these things are not allowed or supported by the platform, and because of that, I have to I don't know not use this new cloud service that the cloud provider has uh, launched, or if I should rewrite my application in a certain way to make this happen. Uh, I mean, I think that's a that's an anti-pattern to platform engineering. So, I would say this is the what the platform engineering teams provide is a is a golden path, and even that golden path needs to be challenged and it needs to evolve to suit the needs of the customer because, after all, the platform teams exist to serve these internal customers. So, um, yeah, we actually embrace that and we. Um, you know, are constantly talking to the dev teams and partnering with them to make sure that they are um, giving us the right feedback. Um, that's that's. I I used to be in past life uh, uh, product manager, so I'm all in favor of uh, looking at platform engineering. I think this is the right way of looking at platform engineering as as a as a sort of an internal product and treating it as a product in the interaction with the app developers to to. Uh, characterize the the needs and the pains and the the what will definitely drive the the features there and also uh tune but uh so i guess the, the question uh would be when they do uh choose a different path that is not part of the golden path is that like hands off from platform engineering side and they need to own maintain install maintain and all the cycle themselves or is there still a way that platform engineering can can engage on these uh, cases yeah, I mean it's it's pretty much they own the infrastructure, but then when there's a there's a problem or when they need some deep expertise on networking, for example, uh, they definitely come to the platform teams, and we are you know more than happy to engage. Uh, and when that particular application uh, reaches a certain size and scale, where it's it actually is a lot more work for them to handle then uh, we figure out a way for, for them to onboard uh, to the platform. Uh, and, and hopefully by the time the platform will be ha will have everything that they need. Nice. Well, the, the, the toil uh, pushes them to actually want to offload that to, uh, to platform engineering. That's, uh, that's true. And, and when we talk about the stack that is in use, so let's say the ones that do uh, align with the stack that is in use, another question that keeps arising, at least in my discussions around platform engineering, is how you strike the balance between uh, abstraction and flexibility, in a way. or how Because engineers, on the one hand, like the ability to configure the bits and bytes and have all the flexibility possible uh, to, to fine-tune things. And on the other hand, they're uh, lazy to want to uh, offload and, and say, hey, give me automation that I, can, uh, I cannot be bothered with that. And and as a platform, because it's not tailored to a specific team, but rather something generic, how do you find the, the right level of abstraction that will strike the right balance between simplicity and flexibility? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And I'll say that that's definitely a work in progress. And maybe one of the most popular topics when end users get together and discuss is like, okay, like how much do you expose to the end users? Um, at Shopify, we started with a more like abstracted, like a layer on top of Kubernetes, and that actually did not work very well uh, in the past. So we took the approach of like, okay, we don't want to hide Kubernetes from our, our, our application developers. So they have meaningful defaults and they have a manifest that they can manipulate. And some advanced uh, power users do, but for the most people, for the most part, people don't uh, manipulate their their manifest. Um, and and there are you know some some definitely some challenges uh, that we still have. Like well, you know our um, you know there are bespoke applications, and we have to some sometimes like have a separate way of deploying that application. And there's like not one way to deploy like every application in Shopify. There's in a few different ways, uh, but that's still better than n number of ways to deploy. Yeah. <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, so, so how, how do you structure that? Like, do you have a team per uh, like uh, product within the platform, or can you give us a bit about the uh, uh, the teams? Maybe take one one uh, team as an example, just to understand the, uh, the how you structure this uh, massive department under you. 
Yeah, so uh, at Shopify, there's a, a infrastructure group. And within infrastructure, we have data platform, observability platform, stateful systems, streaming platform, and then uh, the production platform, which is like the, the bottom layer that supports all of these platforms and these platforms support the application developers. So that's a, a layered model that we have. Uh, we did not go the direction of like embedding uh, a little platform engineering team within every product within Shopify. So we have a centralized uh, infrastructure team within Shopify. And um, I think that that works that works well because you have a, a separate group or a craft called infrastructure engineers. And, you know, for organizational reasons, it just makes it easier to come to grow, um, you know, and mentor and you know facilitate all of that within within uh, an infrastructure group as opposed to having a team uh, where these platform engineers are embedded with like front-end engineers and uh, you know other other types of uh, crafts nice and uh, and i think you you mentioned uh, in, in an earlier conversation also about dedicated teams uh, within the the platform engineering focusing on on longer term projects yeah yeah so um I mean, the first thing is like BFCM, right? Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Like, how do we think about like capacity and how do we uh, do scale testing? How do we do resiliency testing? So all, all of that starts, you know, right about this time of year, uh, even though Black Friday is not until November. So that's like an example of some of the futuristic work that we'll start doing. Uh, another example is, okay, how do we, uh, I mean, IPv6 and how do we revamp our networking uh, platform? And okay, how do we, and you know, in the in the world, uh, scale is only ever increasing. So how do we prepare for, you know, more scale, subsequent scale? And uh, most platform teams will agree that at, at any given time, we probably have a, a dozen migration projects happening. We are moving from like the old stack to the new stack. And then we are working with like every application team or product within the company to like bring them along with us so that we can sunset the old way of doing things and move to the new way of doing things and have one way of doing things. So those are examples where we are like constantly evolving the platform. Um, you know, we call it like, you know, we're changing the tire while still uh, riding the car. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And uh, can you give us a sense of the velocity of the teams that uh, operate at Shopify? Yeah, uh, I mean, it's different for each application, but if we look at the main Shopify platform backend, um, we ship about uh, 1,000 PRs a day, and the application itself gets deployed to production 107 times a day. This is like stats from uh, a few weeks ago. That's uh, agile and it's best. So uh, that's uh, that's amazing to hear. Um, and you mentioned uh, the dedicated uh, like initiatives within platform engineering to align to the uh, Black Friday Cyber Cyber Monday. And I think this is uh, uh, very interesting because uh, in several industries, obviously in e-commerce, e but also in others, that you have uh, these peak uh, special events throughout the year. Sometimes these are yeah. uh, known events that you can prepare for and maybe tune. Uh, the environment uh, towards that. Some in some cases it's it's unpredictable, uh, or others. But this is very very it's extreme because in the in the magnitude of of uh, how much this peak is above the the average, and obviously this is a very uh, challenging uh, in, on your end to support with the platform. So can you tell us a bit about uh, first of all what's what's this peak like uh, in in the numbers and also uh, what what it takes from your end to support this sort of peaks. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And and like you rightly said, you know, some of this is predictable and some of this is unpredictable, right? And as a platform that supports millions of merchants, you know, we don't have uh, a way for everybody to tell us. And even if they tell us, it's not like we're going to be scaling for every every single thing that's happening across these millions of merchants. So, it's a uh, it, it's a matter of figuring out the right uh, baseline capacity in the platform to make sure that we are able to support these flash sales, um, these like sudden peak volumes across the platform. Uh, so that's that's like a given. That's that's always the platform is capable of supporting that. And the next bucket of things is like what we call as flash sale, uh, right? So uh, 
you know, there's like a new launch and sometimes our enterprise merchants will actually tell us that, okay, so we are expecting the platform to support, you know, this much uh, peak capacity at any given time. And for those kind of flash sales, there is a little bit of preparation uh, that happens, um, but it's uh, for the most part fully automated. There's a there's a system that tracks, okay, what are all the flash sales that are happening across which regions, which zones, and how much capacity is needed for those flash sales, and we scale uh, to meet those needs. And then BFCM, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, it's a whole another extreme where we definitely do um, some sort of um, capacity estimation. We uh, There's a data science team involved to figure out, okay, what is the capacity that we will be supporting this year? And we have a series of flash sales that are leading up to Black Friday, Cyber Monday. So we do scale um, weeks in advance to make sure that we are able to meet that capacity. We don't have like issues like stockouts. Um, and when you're, you know, in a large scale distributed system, you're always going to have surprises. So we are always prepared to deal with surprises. Um, yeah. So I think that's uh, that, that's how it works. And uh, a note about like auto scaling is um, <laughs> that's the time to turn off the auto scaling. <laughs> that is, yeah, that would be that would be a good time to turn off auto scaling. We try to use auto scaling as much as we can, but at the peak uh, max volume, uh, it's best to um, you know have have a, a, a capacity so you don't have a whole lot of churn uh, in your system. Given the state of art of the technology right now, and who knows, in in you know next year and a few years, we'll you know have uh, the technology matured to a certain extent that we can have auto scaling enabled throughout. No, also I think uh, that we we need to remember we, we're all all the time as engineers and as uh, maybe DevOps we're all into optimizing uh, so that we don't uh, uh, over provision and we have uh, underutilized. But this is ultimately a matter of cost. It's not that it's wrong. It's just that it's costly. And if on the other end of the scale, uh, in, in here is, is a significant revenue that comes from from a flash sale or from a, from a known event, and uh, let alone uh, the major ones, uh, Black Friday, uh, Cyber Monday, then obviously this will by 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 uh, orders of magnitude will uh, out outweigh the 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 cost that we will save with the infrastructure. It's definitely worthwhile over provisioning and making sure that uh, the system is up and ready to serve. So uh, we need to remember yeah. it's not that it's it's wrong, just that it's costly. The question is if the cost is uh, worth it uh, for the for the uh, event at hand, and it, it makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the other guiding principle that we have is like it, it's it's like one platform. Like you know, whether it's for the entrepreneur who's you know having their first sale on the platform, or if it's a big enterprise merchant, uh, we need to be able to be available and support any given merchant at any given time on the platform. So the uh, you know the 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 merchant is of like you know customer is of utmost important. It's not about you know figuring out the um, I mean, we, we definitely want to be optimal so that we can do the uh, provide the best value for our merchants. But at the same time, the the cost of that that sale, the cost of customer satisfaction, all of that is extremely important. Yeah, that that makes uh, sense. And I touched uh, when when I mentioned about the cost. This is definitely a, a significant pillar of uh, of us as, as a platform engineering uh, is always to balance the cost because otherwise things would have been much much simpler and we could have done things maybe even uh, self hosted and maybe even uh, you know provisioning to the to the top to the to the peak capacity throughout the year long or something like that. All the the automation and all this. Uh, sensing and in some cases you mentioned even uh, looping in data science to to uh, do uh, intelligent forecasting of uh, of uh, capacity expected capacity needs uh, this all comes to essentially balance the the cost and this goes goes down to the I guess the, the FinOps aspect that is becoming uh, very very trendy these days with the current financial climate uh, actually uh, released over the uh, end of the year. Uh, uh, an article about uh, FinOps uh, and, and where we are heading and also uh, standardizing on some of these uh, difficult questions. So I'm curious, when you look at platform engineering from the FinOps perspective, uh, how do you uh, uh, handle this concern? Yeah, um, so when 
everybody started moving from data center to the cloud you know we all loved the the flexibility of of the, of the cloud like you know you can you can scale you can create new things you can create a new project you can create a new vm and i think over that time maybe the pendulum swung a little bit too much on on the direction of like flexibility and it's time to like dial it back just a little bit and have uh, a little more control and you know best practices on like how to deploy things to production and a, an average developer working in the application team it's it's not reasonable to expect that they will you know have all of these uh, numbers uh, to make the best decision of okay which 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 region do i deploy to which type of vm do i deploy to right and i think that is definitely becoming uh, uh within the scope of platform engineering is okay how do you provide this visibility to the application developers and you know because you know everything moved to cloud and platforms and you know, all of this was developing at the same time you know we didn't we didn't have these abilities in the past but it's definitely becoming a part and parcel of like platform engineering so having having the tools having the visibility uh having guardrails so that they you know are, don't make mistakes right so we talk about golden path and i think you know as part of the golden path uh there has to be these uh finops best practices in place so that the developers doesn't don't have to think i mean we talk about cognitive overload like having them to figure out okay which region which zone which cheapest which vm type is cheapest i mean i think it's all adds to that um cognitive overload for the developers so i think having these you know good example would be like maybe some sort of like policy checking in terraform okay so okay this is this is what is allowed this is not allowed i think uh and and surfacing that in the you know the developer portal uh that you know we may have i, I think these are all the the type of things that are uh actively happening uh within within the community and and within shopify uh yeah and then i think you you mentioned the the cognitive uh, overload i think alongside the toil obviously i think this is uh, the the main thing that uh, i feel that uh, platform engineering comes to uh, to help this is when, when people ask me what are the main things that why do we need platform engineering i think these are the two things it's not about the tooling it's not about the consolidation it's not even primarily the 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 financials it's First, to let engineers, the app engineers, of course, focus on, on what they need to do and the, the core business logic that they need to serve. And uh, definitely concerns such as knowing the, the different regions, the different uh, cost structures for each and, and things like that is, is way, way too much to expect and uh, a certain, uh, certainly a defocus on these things. Um, yeah. You run in a, in a multi-cloud environment, right? Uh, for the most part, we are on GKE, but yes, we also run on other clouds. Because because I do see uh, in large organizations that run in, in operating in multi-cloud, also the complexity of having different cloud providers providing things uh, that are very difficult to compare between because yeah. each one has its own way of reporting, uh, the, the FinOps reports and, and things like that also makes it uh, trickier, let's say, to try and, and, and factor these into the uh, equation. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, uh, that, and that's that's when the, the choice of like, okay, which cloud, which region, which uh, it has to be, automatic uh, to a certain extent and even when we talk about like providing visibility and insights i think there's a good way to provide visibility and a not so good way to provide that visibility if we say that you're you know you need to right size your application you need to right size your application it's it's not enough information it's not actionable information right so something as uh, concrete and actionable as like we see that your min replicas is configured as x but even during you know, peak, you're not using as many, you know, your efficiency is only this much. You could go down to X minus five replicas. I think that would make it a lot more actionable. So I think we need to get to a point of maturity in the platform where we are able to provide these very specific uh, insights to each application that's running on the platform. 
That's very interesting. And, and are you able to provide these recommendations based on reviews or were you able to automate that or maybe even uh, applying? I, I hear a lot about uh, anomaly detection as a way to uh, to engage, obviously, early on. What, what's your path on this, uh, on this topic? Yeah, that's a good question. So we do a lot of uh, things. Yeah, anomaly detection is like one way for us at a, at a very high level. Okay, so across the number of projects that we have, across the different you know, skews that we use uh, in the platform, like, okay, what, what has it, you know, we, we, what has gone up? Uh, that's, that's one indicator. And uh, the other uh, thing is like, um, you know, dashboards of like efficiency uh, reports, and we have a internal developer platform, we have a portal uh, through which we send action items to teams, and we provide very actionable insights. And we have, um, you know, uh, custom you know crds and controllers running you know uh, in our clusters that actually are able to get uh, the look at these signals and get provide these actionable insights to us so we push those notifications to the idps and uh, and that's how we make sure that this is uh, this is actioned upon and yeah i mean i think it's it's, it's fully automated um, and uh, but I definitely think you know a spreadsheet is a good way to start, uh, and then slowly figure out okay how much of it you want to automate and uh, how to automate it. I think it's a, it's a, it's part of the evolution. So yeah, we we started with spreadsheets at some point. Nice. Uh, and you mentioned the the IDP, the internal developer platform. That's something that you uh, developed in house, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, given that. We are we're an early adopter of uh, Kubernetes. Like you know, all of these, some of these uh, tools ba uh, predate the uh, the current maturity in the in the ecosystem. Nice. Uh, we have a question from the uh, from the audience. Uh, do you use a tool such as KubeCost for monitoring utilization? Uh, that's a great question. We, um, you know, like like I said, we have our own custom controllers um, that monitor utilization, and we also use tools from uh, our our cloud provider, and uh, we also look at the the billing data uh, and do uh, you know a big query export of uh, all of the data available, and so we have our own in-house uh, data mart um, to look at all of this. Yeah, well, I guess you you predated the uh, KubeCost and some of these initiatives anyway. So it's not that you uh, you have the time to wait. Also in the IDP now, everyone's talking about uh, backstage. We yeah. had an episode even here on the show about backstage uh, dedicated for the team. But uh, you you already invented that, uh, I guess, and you had the mature product uh, before before the industry already had an open source uh, project that uh, others can can utilize. Yeah, and that that being said, we are also constantly looking at. Uh, I mean, this this whole like FinOps and uh, you know cloud cost efficiency industry is like has been gaining a lot of traction in the last uh, six months to a year. So yeah, we're constantly also looking at various alternatives. And like I told you before, uh, the platform has to evolve, right? So the things that you know were in-house or custom built, uh, you know, also have a lot of tech that that come with us. So come with it. So we are constantly looking for open source alternatives um, to replace our in-house things. Yeah, uh, and, and I wanted to talk also about uh, culture. I think uh, many of us tend to talk about platform engineering in the context of tooling and processes. That's the easier part, for, especially for us as engineers. But I find that uh, a significant part of that is culture and. I mentioned the the beginning of the episode that I uh, was asked for my predictions uh, summary of 2023 and the predictions for 2024. I think it was for APM Digest, if I'm not, uh, DevOps Digest, something. Uh, and and um, uh, alongside the prediction that uh, platform engineering is geared to uh, getting production ready, the concern that I did raise is that it will become yet another silo. And I emphasize the fact that we need to uh, uh, to crack the cultural element and make sure that, uh, that they establish the right communication means uh, and processes to make sure that it doesn't become uh, a silo. So I'm wondering how you, especially at your scale, uh, handle the uh, cultural aspect and uh, and building this uh, these bridges. Yeah, so I think two things help. First thing is uh, we are not actively preventing people from being able to deploy directly to the infrastructure or to the cloud, right? So I think there's there's that. 
uh, and when they mature and when they have uh, when they really need the the support of uh, platform engineering and the platform um, you know we, we're happy to onboard them and the second thing is um, when, whenever there's like a um, you know when the app t- application teams are saying that well we can't do this in the platform uh, so we have to like implement a bunch of workarounds or we have to rewrite things that's a that that's a symptom of like that that silo uh, happening right and it can happen time to time uh, and that's the um, the only way is for you know these teams to collaborate you know have like a joint mission uh, work on something together and um, yeah i mean i think that's that's really the only way to uh, avoid it it's to a certain extent you know we should we should expect that it will happen and you know figure out ways to uh, overcome that well uh, I, I can tell you that you're not uh, alone in this journey and uh, we all struggle with this uh, so uh, thanks for sharing and definitely it's something that we're as, as, a, as a community and as an industry are trying to find the best uh, best practices and that's why I wanted you on the show also to share your journey and your struggles and your uh, insights because I think uh, we can definitely learn a lot from that um, and I want to now uh, uh, Put aside a bit of the uh, your uh, Shopify uh, hat. Now talking a bit about the co- about the community, and uh, uh, I mentioned that briefly. But uh, you also have another role within the CNCF, being a, a CNCF ambassador. I'm proud to uh, to uh, discuss this part as well uh, within the uh, end user SIG. Uh, first, do you want to tell us a bit about your uh, role and maybe about the SIG, the special interest group that you uh, you chair? Sure. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm a co-chair of the CNCF End User Developer Experience SIG. Uh, so we are a community of end users, and uh, you know, by in end use by end user, what I mean is we are users of uh, Kubernetes and a bunch of other cloud native technologies, um, but we are not the you know we we are not associated with companies that that sell these technologies. So that's what uh, end user means in uh, in the cloud native uh, parlance. Um, so we we are adopters and users of uh, all cloud native technologies, and we come together every other week uh, in a in a SIG, and we talk about our challenges. We learn from each others, and we, and uh, yeah, so that's that's a little bit about the SIG, and uh, I'm uh, yeah honored to be a co-chair of that SIG. Yeah, and we're glad to have you on the in the CNCF in this important uh, SIG, the Special Interest Group. And now, with your broader capacity and your scope beyond the Shopify, when you look at the main uh, challenges and main concerns that come up in the in the end user uh, discussions, what are the main, if you let take the main uh, two or three uh, things that uh, come up? Yeah, uh, so you know, definitely. Uh, platform efficiency optimization we are always talking about like you know how to cluster auto scaling vpa hpa uh, how can we really operate a very efficient uh, platform that's like a very hot topic and the other challenge is just about scale um, i mean we have a lot of uh, tools to uh, you know spin up clusters like all of those are like solved problems like we can you know clusters are ephemeral you know nodes are ephemeral everything's ephemeral but then now we've ended up with the with the complexity of a very large fleet so how do you you know multi cluster management and you know is even a cluster is that a meaningful thing because you know we have four hundreds <laughs> of of those things to manage so uh, so how do we come up with like you know things like cluster sets and multi cluster management so that's a that's a that's a challenge that we are i think still uh, dealing with um and the um yeah i mean i think that's that's really what what comes to mind uh, i mean we definitely compare notes a lot about like service mesh observability scaling performance uh, profiling and and really the the biggest uh, challenge that i would say is like okay how do you evolve your platform right because if you don't evolve your platform then uh, nobody's going to want to use it because it's going to become legacy very quickly and with the with, we are in the cloud native technology landscape where you're constantly have like so much innovation going on so many tools so you want to move away you want to get rid of your tech debt you want to evolve the platform you want to simplify the platform so we're that's really the biggest challenge is okay how do you how do you do that while still supporting 
your business, all of your internal developers uh, who are running on your platform. So that's, uh, yeah, that's 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 where we are. And and where uh, where can people uh, join, follow uh, the ch- discuss, uh, join, chime in on the uh, on the SIG? Can you say that for the audience? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the the best way to join the SIG is uh, because it's it's not a public SIG; it's only for end users. The best way to reach uh, join the SIG is to uh, reach out to uh, Taylor Dolezal, who's the head of uh, CNCF ecosystem, and then uh, you know he'll get you added to the uh, SIG. And anyway, first of all, we we had uh, Taylor Dolezal. I interviewed him more uh, here on the show at KubeCon last year, twenty twenty three. Uh, when I was there on on premise, it was a festive uh, uh, episode there. Uh, so uh, definitely reach out to him. And and important to say that also the SIG uh, or Taylor and and the team uh, issues uh, reports that summarize the main uh, main takeaways, main highlights, main focus areas of the uh, that come out of the SIG. So uh, the reports are obviously publicly available for all. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, highly yeah. recommend uh, checking those out and you'll get uh, an idea of like the end user perspective on things. Yeah. And I should also briefly mention we're uh, reaching uh, the, the top of this part, this part of the show, but uh, in the end user context, there is also uh, we've launched in the CNCF, the end user uh, tab, the technical advisory board, and uh, you're also uh, chosen to be uh, on that uh, board. Do you want to say uh, briefly what, what the uh, advisory board is about? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, you know, by by nature, the end user is a closed SIG or a closed group, right? Unlike all the other SIGs, because this is only a community of end users and, uh, you know, we want them to openly share challenges and problems. So what what has happened is there's this end user SIG and then there's the maintainers and all of the projects. So this technical advisory board is formed to solve or uh, address that gap because we have two different groups and we want feedback to freely move from one group to the other. We want to make sure that end user feedback and user perspectives are uh, incorporated within uh, the projects um, and create more of a, a, a liaison so that we can streamline this communication and have the information flowing both ways. Nice. So uh, really great to see the community of end users uh, Evolving and maturing, one of the things that I keep saying uh, also to uh, younger projects, uh, like uh, yesterday on Open Tofu, we'll talk about it soon, but essentially is that a, a critical uh, element that they need to make sure is that it's not a vendor-only game, that only vendors talk amongst themselves in the ivory tower, but actually hear the the, the voice of the, the, the engineers and the users that actually end up using that in production for their own use cases without any angle of, uh, of a vendor. And, uh, and the, this mix is, is very, very important. So I'm, I'm really happy to see uh, these in, the new initiatives. You, you already had the, the first meeting of the, the technical advisory board. So uh, we're now going to see how this uh, becomes a regular thing, but uh, yep. glad to see that kicking off. Yeah, definitely. And you know, I'll use this opportunity to also invite other end users uh, to actively come and, and join the SIG, right? Like reach out to Taylor. Uh, and you know, we'll be more than happy to have you. And uh, you know, it's it's hard, right? Like as platform teams, you have a lot of like in you know, on-call responsibilities, operational overhead, and you're also constantly working on the next evolution of your platform. Yeah, so it's definitely hard to you know, ha- take out that amount of time and, uh, you know, invest in like participating in a SIG. But personally, it's been totally worth it uh, for me. I've learned so much uh, from other end users and how they approach things. And it's it's actually fascinating to see uh, the similarities and uh, the challenges that we face and the uh, the differences in, in approaches and how, um, you know, we can adopt a, a different approach and uh, you know get the same result without having to uh, learn it the hard way. So exactly. yeah, That's it's been absolutely community. worth it. Yeah, yep. the power of community and the power of sharing and learning uh, from each other with each with each other, and uh, that that's great. Uh, and uh, I, I just wanted to also uh, congratulate you for uh, being also uh, a co-chair for the upcoming KubeCon, KubeCon uh, Europe, that is going to take place in Paris uh, in April uh, 2020. In uh, sorry, March 2024. So uh, first of all. Hoping to uh, see you in person there, uh, and uh, that's awesome. And the, the registration is already open, so everyone who's uh, planning on being there, 
uh, do follow up. Uh, I'm uh, going to try and be there. I was invited to uh, speak at uh, Observability uh, Day, which is one of the collocated events. So it's going mm-hmm. to be very exciting. And uh, uh, and obviously to see you uh, there on stage. So uh, good luck with uh, with uh, mastering this uh, this orchestrating this uh, uh, huge event. And uh, where, where can people, besides uh, catching you up, uh, catching up with you at KubeCon, uh, where can people follow up with you or uh, follow you or reach out to you? Uh, yeah, all the the usual places. Uh, you know, Twitter is fine. Uh, LinkedIn uh, is actually best. Um, so yeah, and uh, the CNCF uh, Slack channel, the Kubernetes Slack channel, those are uh, even better. So yeah, looking forward to hearing from you. Great. So, uh, Aparna, thank you very much. But before, don't don't uh, disappear. We're going to thank you again at the end of the episode. But now we're going to the uh, uh, second part, which is, as always, the breaking news. And beginning of uh, a new year, 2024 was uh, quite a, a busy uh, in terms of updates. The uh, most uh, hot of the press one is uh, OpenTofu project that has reached uh, GA, general availability or stability in the Linux Foundation terms uh, just yesterday. Uh, now we're uh, broadcast a uh, day before we're uh, live streaming this uh, on uh, January 10th. Uh, very, very exciting. And I also, uh, I'll share here a link and also uh, for the live stream audience. And obviously for those who are on the uh, uh, listening, I will do that also on the uh, show notes. Uh, but very exciting. Just for those who don't remember, OpenTofu uh, is the uh, uh, open source fork of uh, Terraform, of HashiCorp Terraform uh, that uh, followed the uh, relicensing of uh, Terraform uh, to a non-open source license. Uh, we've covered that also here on the on the uh, episode back in September 2023 uh, with uh, the uh, launch of this fork and with its uh, joining the Linux Foundation as a foundational open source. Uh, so very exciting. And uh, of course, I invite you all, for those who are uh, newer to the project, to also check out that episode that we had uh, back in September that gives a very good overview. And I had one of the uh, creators and the core maintainers of the project so uh, this is exciting. Uh, have you had uh, the chance to uh, look into uh, OpenTofu and the announcements? Yeah, I've been following the announcement, and that's great. Uh, I mean, that's you know, I look at that and I you know really appreciate the power of the community, right? I mean, and this is uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm closely watching it, and I'll excited to see what they uh, do next. And like you say, like you know, may the open source be with you, and that's the power of the community. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. It was very exciting yesterday on the uh, on the X spaces, the Twitter space that we had uh, discussing as a panel about this. And we had the maintain- maintainers there, creators of the project, and uh, also enthusiasts from the community. It was very uh, interesting to see the, the excitement around that, the expectations that come with it. And also, as I said, I gave some reality checks for the very young, uh, promising project on how to uh, increase the sustainability. It's a very good start having this under uh, the Linux Foundation. They have a very good mix, so it's not one vendor owning it in any way. It's a good mix of uh, of players involved. Maybe seeing more uh, end users there involved would be uh, beneficial and some others, but very, very exciting and very, uh, uh, a very exciting day that we had yesterday in general. Uh, another update uh, that happened last month, uh, December 23, uh, was that uh, Isovalent was acquired by Cisco. And uh, the context, we're here about open source, obviously not companies, but Isovalent is the driving force behind the Cilium uh, service mesh uh, project. Uh, again, another CNCF uh, project, a graduated project. Uh, and obviously, I hope uh, uh, that Cisco will be wise to keep that uh, work around the open source. Um, uh, for those who uh, haven't uh, seen that on, on my KubeCon Chicago recap uh, episode uh, here a couple of months ago, I covered the service mesh landscape and updates, including the acceptance of Cilium as a CNCF graduated project. So uh, I uh, highly recommend for those who are interested in this domain to check out this episode as well. I'm, I'm uh, pasting here the link. Uh, and uh, yeah, we're seeing now Istio is a graduated project and Cilium is a graduate like uh, project. So we see the maturity in the uh, in the uh, service mesh uh, landscape. Are you, by the way, using uh, service mesh in, uh, internally? Yeah, yep. we use service mesh. We use uh, Cilium 
Um, so yeah, exciting to you know see the the maturity in the project, and uh, yeah, hoping that uh, Cilium will remain uh, a vibrant uh, community that it is. Yes, definitely. Um, uh, some more things again. Uh, beginning of 2024, we had quite a few uh, year-end summaries and predictions. So I wanted to share on the on the news updates. Uh, there was a new uh, the good uh, the new the new stack published a very nice piece on observability in 2024 that uh, I will share here with the uh, with the audience. Uh, and uh, there was the one that I mentioned. Uh, sorry, and uh, one that uh, from API Digest. Also, uh, an interesting piece with predictions about uh, Open Telemetry. Open Telemetry again, another very important project within the CNCF. One that we've uh, covered here extensively on the show, being open source and observability centric. That's uh, that's uh, uh, definitely becoming the golden path here. So, very interesting predictions about where the project is heading in both the maturity, the production readiness, uh, reaching out from backend to uh, more frontend related and uh, client side related uh, so this is another uh, update that is very interesting are you uh, using by the way open telemetry within your yeah yeah definitely we are one of the uh, we were one of the early adopters of open telemetry and uh, we are one of the um, key maintainers of the ruby implementation of uh, open telemetry shopify being a, a ruby on rails shop nice uh, so uh, maybe we should uh, follow up in another episode with your end user experience with open telemetry in one of the uh, follow-up episodes. Um, and, and another one that I wanted to share, uh, uh, Open uh, Observability 360, there's a very uh, uh, promising newsletter that uh, I wanted to bring up uh, for those who don't know, and it gave uh, an end-of-year uh, awards. I'm proud to share that uh, our show, uh, open, Obs uh, open Observability Talks, was uh, named Best podcast of the year so uh, uh do check out both the awards and the newsletter uh, in general for uh, useful resources and tools for observability that's what we hear about also on the uh on the podcast so uh, i think it's a very uh, valuable resource uh and the last thing that we have before we run out of time uh i've been following how dotnet has been uh taking observability up a notch in the past year uh, for those who've been following me on twitter or linkedin and one of the hot things that uh, came out of the uh, .NET Conf uh, just a couple of months ago, let's say a couple of months ago, was Aspire, uh, an opinionated stack for building resilient, observable, and configurable, uh, configurable uh, cloud-native applications with .NET. And uh, the, the hot news here is that uh, Aspire, uh, just last month, Microsoft announced the Preview 2 availability of Aspire. Uh, with a GA expected uh, in the spring of uh, 2024. Maybe it will somehow coincide with uh, uh, with KubeCon in a way, but definitely uh, exciting towards the .NET 8. So for all the uh, .NET uh, folks out there, uh, highly recommend checking out the observability baked into the language and baked into the platform. Um, are, are you in any way using uh, .NET in your organization? No, we're not. Um, yeah, but thank you so much for aggregating all of this news in the, you know, in the, in the tech industry, it's so hard to like keep up with stuff. So this is, thank you so much for curating that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, happy. That's, that's uh, the goal of the show definitely. And uh, I'm, I'm also myself of being flooded with so much information. So it's good, uh, good to have these, uh, these moments to consolidate and also very nice to see specific stack specific uh, programming languages that take uh, this uh, these uh, elements uh, of, of monitoring of, of configuration of uh, of uh, um, uh, operability in cloud native environments and making it a first level citizen within the language so this was very interesting and encouraging to see that with uh, with .net um and uh, i think this uh, is all that we have uh, time for today so i want to thank you again uh, aparna for uh, joining me Thank you so much for having me. This was great. Thank you. And obviously, thank you all, uh, our listeners, for uh, joining me on the uh, on the show today and the opening of 2024. As always, all the episodes are available on your favorite podcast apps or on uh, YouTube as well as a videocast format. And for those who are, uh, if you listen to us here now on a, on a podcast format, do know that we stream the episodes live on Twitch and YouTube Live, and now uh, recently added also on X on Twitter. So uh, follow us on uh, X 
at OpenObserve to get the live stream times and also to stay updated on more deep dives like this one. And uh, of course, uh, if we if you like the discussion, share it with your friends. We'd appreciate that. I'm Dotan Horvitz. Thank you very much for listening. See you next month's episode. And as always, may the open source be with you.